Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God. We're going to also be talking about the kingdoms of the world, because the kingdoms of the world are right next to the Kingdom of God. <laughs> because the Kingdom of God is not really a location. It's a way. It's a way in which you think. It's a way in which you act. It's a, a way of conviction. We call it faith. Faith, well, I just had a conversation with somebody about belief. Belief is not what you think. Belief is what you are convicted of. And the, the Greek word for belief means that you believe it so much that you're willing to go and, and are almost cannot help yourself but from going a particular way. You believe in that, so you must go that way. You you not only create the plane, but you are absolutely willing to be the test pipe, a test pilot because you believe in what you, this situation is, that it will work, that it's right. Now, regardless of the danger, regardless of the inconvenience, you have to go that particular way. And that's, that's not what you think, that's belief, that is conviction. And so, the kingdom of God is about that conviction, about going that way, living that way, acting in a particular way that would be the way of Christ. That's what Christianity was called, the way. In order to go that way, you probably have to think differently than you think right now. You have to change your thinking. But what do you change it to? I mean, you're not God. You don't know how to think like God, like Christ. I mean, you read the Bible, but that's an intellectual endeavor to read the Bible and figure out what God meant through your own knowledge. That's eating of the tree of knowledge. Like you study the Bible and then you know, then you believe. You really then only believe in what you think the Bible is saying. And you may be right, but you may be wrong because you do not find God through the tree of knowledge. You find God through the tree of life. So what is the tree of life? We have this thing we call the tree of life. Well, Christ said to have life more abundant, you had to lay down your life for his sake. Lay down your life for his sake and pick it up again to have life more abundant. So the tree of life is not about what you get. It's not about what you figure out. It's about sacrifice and if anything christ came to tell us to sacrifice and of course nowadays everybody's saying oh the sacrifice was done away with well the sacrifice of the pharisees was done away with but sacrifice was not done away with if you want to be a good mother if you want to be a good father if you want to be a good son if you want to be a good daughter sacrifice is important if you want to be a good citizen you sacrifice is going to be important the problem today is the sacrifices of the people are forced sacrifices. They don't really have too much choice in it. They get to do something they call voting. But somebody else decides how much you're going to sacrifice and when you're going to sacrifice and when you're going to support this and when you're going to support that. And they pretty much have decided to take and take and take and take and take. Where did we ever hear that? That they would take and take and take and take and take. Well, we hear that in 1 Samuel 8, that if you decide to have a government that can exercise authority one over the other, a government where there is a ruler, a lawmaker, a commander-in-chief, 
it's going to end up that he takes and takes and takes and takes. You may have some commander-in-chiefs that are better, like David, and then you may have some that are like uh, Rehoboam, who says, my father whipped you with whips, I'm going to whip you with scorpions. So, And they come and they go. But you're stuck with them. You're in bondage to them. Now, the Israelites, they only went so far in this way, and then they said, what is David to us? And many of them walked away. Others stayed with them, but then they started warring with themselves, and then it ended up that they went into bondage. So that was one particular scenario, but that's not the scenario you're in right now. (laughs) The scenario you're in is you're already in bondage. We talked about it this morning that in Egypt, 20% of your labor belonged to the pharaoh, the king, the commander-in-chief, the ruler, the, you know, the government. 20%. They get. And you don't get paid for that labor. They take the pay for that labor. They take the value of that labor. That was called the bondage of Egypt. So, do you know of any situation today in the world where people have to give up a portion of their labor and they have to work and not get paid for it, but the value of their labor goes to somebody else? Do you know any countries that operate that way? Actually, I don't know any com- countries that don't operate that way. <laughs> so, yeah, you're all back in the bondage of Egypt. It's it's pretty comfortable. It's pretty free in a lot of countries. But the government, she do take a bite. And uh, so I'm quoting there. Those of you who know where I'm quoting, it might bring a little smile to your face. But the reality is that's what it is. And, and you need to pay. You, you, you pay Caesar what you owe him, and you owe Caesar because you get the benefits of Caesar. You applied to Caesar to get those benefits. You know, whether you're in Australia or, or the United States or Canada, you get benefits. You can get benefits from the government. You have probably a social insurance number or a social security number or a national insurance number, and all these show that you're a member, that you're eligible for those benefits. And because of that, a portion of your labor belongs to them, and they decide how much you have to pay in, and you have to pay it in. Because that's the deal. That's where you went. Why did you go that way? Because you wanted free education, you wanted health care, you wanted whatever. And so you are now human resources providing for the welfare of your neighbor. But not through faith, hope, and charity. But through force. Because... You don't have any more choice. You have to pay in. So this is this is the world. That's the way the world operates. The kingdom of God does not operate like that. As a matter of fact, they're restricted from operating like that. There are rules in the kingdom of God. And Christ laid them down. Now, there, those rules actually go back into the law of nature. Christ just voiced them, spoke them into being and said, you're not to be like the governments of the Gentiles who call themselves benefactors. You know, those givers of benefits but exercise authority. In other words, take away from your neighbor in order to provide for benefits. Now, you know, about 99% of the Christians out there are not going to want to hear that. Because <laughs> it means that they're not doing what Christ said. They're not following Christ. If you're not following Christ, you're not really a Christian. If you don't do what Jesus says, if you don't keep his commandments, then you don't really love him. You love the idea of him, but that idea of him has been plucked from the tree of knowledge because somebody read the Bible and created Jesus from that. Most of those same Christians who are not doing what they're supposed to be doing are not attending to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. Now, why are you supposed to be doing that? And I'm I'm quoting again from Jesus 
law, judgment, mercy, and faith. That's what he said. He condemned the Pharisees because they weren't attending to that. But wait a minute. The Pharisees were attending to that. Well, they were attending to their version of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. They didn't have Christ's version of that. They didn't have God's version of that. They didn't know God. They didn't know Moses. They didn't know... I mean, I'm not going to say all Pharisees didn't because obviously there were some Pharisees that recognized Christ and were not far from the kingdom. But the majority, they were not that close to the kingdom. Now, we know thousands and thousands of Judeans followed Christ, 5,000 men and their... their, Families were at the festival out there in the desert where the loaves and fishes, and we talked about that this morning in the previous recordings on this subject. But, and then the baptism, you know, if anybody who got the baptism of Jesus Christ was going to be cast out of the system of welfare called Korben, which means sacrifice in Hebrew, but is translated well, not translated, but you see it as Corbin in the New Testament. But it is translated in the New Testament in another place. But they translate it treasury because your sacrifice went into the treasury. But Jesus said, don't have a treasury. He didn't say don't sacrifice. He said, don't have a treasury, a central treasury where thieves and robbers can break in and take it. Because they, you know, because you have a government that exercises authority. That's an office of power. And men who seek power will seek office. And guess what men who seek power want? They want more power. <laughs> and they're willing to lie and cheat and steal and, and connive and conspire in order to get it. So that was this morning's shows. We talked about that. We talked about an article I put up. To give you an example, to explain, uh, you know, what... Just using Oregon as an example, because I happen to have a lot of inside information about Oregon. I actually have a lot of inside information about the United States government. Uh, because I, I, you know, I've, since I was a little boy, since my father was a little boy, (laughs) they knew people who either were in government or were going to be in government. And, uh, you know, I mean, we went to picnics with the Bushes. Uh, Of course, there were about a thousand other people at the picnic, but, uh, on the Frost Ranch. And, uh, we, I, so I knew stuff that was going on behind the scenes. The good old boy, the corruption, you know, with LBJ and, and the Bushes. And, uh, you know, uh, I also know about corruption because I, you know, because I know these people and I know a lot of people and because I'm willing to see the whole truth, I know that there's corruptions on both sides of the aisle on a regular basis. There are good people on both sides of the aisle. Also, because you can get good people in there. And but that's that's that government of the United States and the government of Oregon and the government of California and the government of Texas and all these other governments. And I've seen them, but I'm seeking the kingdom of God, the government of God. And I'm supposed to be in the world, which the word world there is constitutional order and system of government. I'm in it, but I'm not of it. I'm not looking to it for those benefits. I'm not looking to it to be my benefactor. Of course, I'm I'm a minister in the church established by Jesus Christ. Anybody could be a minister if they have the calling to be that minister, but they have to meet the qualifications of Christ and they have to actually preach Christ and not just about somebody named Jesus. Uh, they have to actually preach what Christ preached. 
And you'll have to decide whether I'm doing that or not. But I wrote this article, Article 2, uh, Section 22, and uh, I still have a little bit more work to do on it. But uh, And we talked about it last week, and I talked about it this morning in greater detail because I added two more sections, the loophole section and the fake reform section, and explained this. And it was because I was in conversation with a number of people after the article appeared, or at least a similar you know, part of the article appeared uh, in a larger article uh, that was about what was going on in Oregon. But it's really about the kingdom of God, but I'm using the news and the facts of going what's going on in Oregon, has been going on in Oregon, to show you the contrast between the governments of the world and and the governments of Oregon. Also, I want you to seek righteousness you know, if you're in a particular government or system, if you're in Australia or China or whatever, you should be seeking righteousness. And uh, some of you should be seeking the ministry in the kingdom. That means that you can be in the world, but you cannot be of the world if you're going to be a minister of Christ. Because he said that. He says, I want you to be, you can be in the world, but not of the world. Now, that was to his ministers. But we're supposed to be serving the people. Uh the ministers were the ones who were considered to be the believers. And the people who were willing to come out of the systems of the world and create this other system, which some people started calling the church, but it's actually the way. The church is the called out. That's the ministers who have to meet these qualifications. And they provide the services that often people go to government for, but they provide them with faith, hope, and charity alone. And they're a government, a different form of government. That's the way the church is defined as one form of government. And one of the unique parts of that form is they do not take and take and take and take. They don't exercise authority. They're not going around building big buildings. They're building networks of people according to the commands of Christ. Because Christ commanded that they, the people sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Because you weren't trying to create, you know, some sort of Vatican with golden seats and chairs and huge treasuries of money. You were trying to create a network of people who cared about one another as much as they cared about themselves. And the fact is, such a network can help you whether you're in the, in France or, uh, you know, like uh, like during World War II, the French underground. They gathered together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands because this is a well-known way in which to gather a society, a group of people together. There's people in Malaysia who do that. Uh, there's people who are starting to do it in some of the Arab countries. Uh, Christians are gathering together in such... Uh, Chinese did it when the, uh, many of the Chinese Christians, they gathered in these small groups and then they were connecting them by picking ministers. So it's it's something you can do anywhere, no matter what status or state you live in, what, no matter what country you live in. But if you're going to do it, if if you're going to sacrifice in such a network, you have to do it according to the character of Christ. It says, you, you lay down your life for my sake, in my way, according to my spirit, then you will pick up life more abundant. So that's very important that when you gather together in this network, you don't do it just to save yourself. You do it to save others because that's what Christ came to do. So anyway, like I said, I've been talking about this Article 2, Section 22, which basically says that anybody in Oregon running for a public office, whether they win or not, cannot take more than 10% of their contributions from outside of the voting district that is electing them. If you're going for a state office, you can't take it outside 
of the state of Oregon, more than 10%. If you're running for a local, like a district office, then you can't take it outside your district, more than 10%. And that's the law. That's the constitutional law of Oregon. It was voted into power, uh, voted into place uh, with Measure 6 uh, back in 1994, and it's the law. And it, it, the subject or the object of that law is campaign finances. Uh, you know, the people, if people give them money from outside the state, they're not punished. Uh, there's no law that says they can't give it. It says that the, uh, that they can't receive it. And, uh, and there could be exceptions to that. And there was. There was a case brought up in 1995 in district court. And they said, we wanted to give $100, but they sent it back because they had already received more than 10%. And then they took it to court and they got a summary judgment. We explained all that today, uh, this morning, and you just have to listen to those recordings. But a summary judgment was only in relationship to the fact that he had only given $100. And we explained that if he'd given $1,000, he might not have gotten that summary judgment. But they knew that when they were creating the situation. And they were creating this situation undoubtedly behind closed doors. <laughs> they were planning this out. This is how it works. I know. I know people who have been behind such closed doors. I know people who have repented of such corruption. I know people who haven't repented of such corruption and have admitted it anyway. Is that they, they do this behind closed doors and they calculate this up for the effect. Because so many people are going around saying, well, Article 2, Section 22 was overthrown. It was not overthrown. It's still there. It's still on the books. It's still law. You're in violation of it. You have to forfeit your office. Kate Brown has to step down. That's the law. But it's going to depend on the fourth branch of government, probably, to compel her to step down. And it will depend upon the cooperation of the honest men in the other branches of government. From the executive branch, because there's more than Kate Brown in the executive branch, and the legislative branch, all those legislators who have not violated, and the legislators who have violated need to fess up so they can hold Kate Brown to do this. And I'm saying this for Kate Brown, too, because... I know how important it is to not bear false witness. By saying you're the governor, when you know you're in violation, you're bearing false witness. And I am concerned about Kate Brown's soul. I don't really care whether she's the governor of Oregon. I don't really have any right to say whether she's the governor of Oregon. I'm just saying you need to make your yeses yes and your noes no. And she has violated the rules. And she's not alone. There's many others who have violated the rules. And they need to hold each other to account. They also need to hold themselves to account. Because I know how important it is to be honest and hold the truth above all else. And so somebody said this morning that you're putting a target on you because, I mean, we're dealing with millions, billions of dollars are at stake. If she's forced to step down, there's a lot of people who are expecting contracts that maybe they're not going to get those contracts. It would, this, this is greater than Lexington and Concord. This is, this will send ripples around the world if the people were to stand up. I don't know whether you'll stand up or not. I hope and pray that you'll stand up and do the right thing. Attend to what Christ called the weightier matters. Law, judgment, mercy, and faith. 
I don't want, even though all the people that have violated this and taken office and made appointments and passed laws, they're felons. It's, it's an unclassified felon, but they're committing a felony because that law is still in place. It's not removed. Nowhere is it removed. The three challenges that came up had to do with a guy who gave a hundred bucks. And we explained this morning, if you, and they, they said that they gave him the summary judgment in part because of a case, uh, which was Buckley case, uh, Buckley versus Vallejo case. Because if you only give a hundred dollars, that is considered a first, first amendment right. But if you gave more than a hundred dollars, like a thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars or fifty thousand dollars, which is the case in some of these situations, then it's not First Amendment right. And if they accepted it over 10%, they're in violation and the act is still in place. So anyway, we showed how they created that loophole, uh, or a seeming appearance of loophole. That We showed them how they created that appearance of a loophole uh, by had this uh, district court case and then eventually the Supreme Court and the appeals court looked at this. And the reality is, is nothing overturned Article 2, Section 22. And if it had, then why are they, and this is the next part of the article, I was going to look, I, I had a few code violations in my, because uh, <laughs> I, oh, I still have one. Oh, no, I probably have to save this again. Um uh, Maybe that's maybe I still do have one. No, it's the same place. But anyway, uh, I'll have to check that out and find out why that's still there. But anyway, footnote 27 is not showing up quite right. But all the others, in like 27 footnotes, actually there's way more than 27 footnotes. <laughs> well, not way more, but at least 28 footnotes. And some of the footnotes are rather big. But I wanted people to see how this works. And understand, and you know, we have links to the actual cases, so you can go read the cases. Now, most of you aren't going to do that. The point is, you have to attend to the weightier matters, even if you're in the unrighteous mammon, even if you're in the bondage of Egypt. You got to do this the right way, and you have to do it with love in your heart. Love not only for all those good guys who actually violated Article Two, Section Twenty-Two, a little bit. But for the guys who violated it a great deal, even if they are taking bribes, you have to love them. But the way you love them is hold them to their word. You keep them honest. And that is the job of the fourth branch of government, which is the people. People pass that law into existence. You can't just say, okay, well, we also elected an attorney general. He's going to go do it. Well, if he doesn't do it, then it's up to you. This was the problem with Saul. This was the problem with the people at the time of 1 Samuel 8. They rejected God. God wants you to care about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself. You can't just worry about, oh, I just, all I care about is my gun rights. No. It's not enough to care about your gun rights. Or, you know, your right to go hunting. Or your right to do whatever it is that you want to do. As long as they don't infringe upon my rights. As long as they don't come to my house. Then I don't care what they do with the rest of the country. Because that's not Christ. You have to care. You not only have to care about what they're going to do to everybody else when they get. You know, because. And we showed this this morning. That in. And, and we talk about it in the section that is. Uh, 
you know, fake reform because they have this House or Senate joint resolution with the House, uh, which is 18. It, they're presenting it as if it's campaign reform. And, you know, we, we even read the actual, from the actual reform, you know, paragraph 2, section A, talks about limiting campaign financing. But when you read the whole sentence, what it's actually saying, you know, they talk about limit contributions in that A, uh, section 8, paragraph 2, section A. They talk about limit contributions. Okay, I also see, I see another typo. I wrote this at about 3 o'clock this morning. <laughs> so that's what holds me up. Hopefully I'll get all these typos corrected, but, uh, I mean, basically it's there anyway. But they come down, if you continue to read that, that one section, it says, does not prevent candidates and public committees from gathering the resources necessary. And what that does, that overthrows Article 2, Section 22. And that, so they, in order to do it and make it stick, they gotta get the people to vote it in. Now I'm not gonna go out and campaign that you don't vote this in. I'm, I'm just telling you the truth because I'm in the truth business. You gotta decide what you're gonna do. You have to gather together like they do in the kingdom. You have to take care of one another, care about one another. And I tell you what will happen is it will change the way you think. Because that's what repentance is, is changing the way you think. You have to do this not because you're angry at Kate Brown. Not because you're angry at some of the other congressmen and legislatures, legislators who are voting in things that, you know, like vaccines, that maybe you don't want vaccines or you don't want to be forced to take vaccines or I don't know what all or or the 2020 uh, House Bill 2020 that was cap and trade that was going to drive a lot of people out of business it cost a lot of money to a lot of people and, and force businesses even out of the state. It was going to be a tremendous burden on the poor people of Oregon and uh, and you know but somebody was going to make lots of money on the deal because it was going to create this huge slush fund that uh, could be passed out to friends who donated the $20 million that Kate Brown got Kate Brown into office. Now, I don't know if those are actually bribes. Maybe people really did love her and gave those hundreds of thousands of dollars because they really think she's going to do wonderful things for the state. Or maybe it was because they were going to think that she was going to do wonderful things for them because they didn't really care about the state. They cared about making lots of money. I don't know. You just have to figure that out. But I show I show very clearly that by violating that Article 2, Section 22, it gives the appearance of evil. It looks like bribes. And the fact that she pushed for this so-called reform that opens the floodgates of these more bribes or more what appears to be bribes. Because I don't know if they're bribes. You know, I've never met her. You know, I'm... I, I've seen her position on a lot of things in the news, and I'm very much against that, those positions. I think that they're wrong. But that's that's your government. That's the government you created. Now, ultimately, I would like to see everybody seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But in the meantime, you need to clean up your own house. What is it? Jordan Peterson's make your own bed. Well, you've made your bed. <laughs> but now you have to clean 
you know, and, and now you're lying in it. Well, you, you made your bed, but it's a mess. It's full of corruption. And, uh, they're all excited about getting this passed so that they can open the doors of more and more money coming to them. You know, that's the thing is, and, and I may do some videos on this. And, and I think it's, was it Rob Davis? I can't remember his name right off. I know remember his last name is Davis. Yeah, Rob Davis, who works for the Oregonian. I, I saw some videos that he put together, which is talking about campaign reform and talking about, uh, you know, how money is corrupting and, and hurting, uh, Oregon. And he shows this case and that case where it may be actually true, some of it. But what he's not showing you is the real corruption. Because I don't really believe that all these politicians who are telling you about that corruption aren't corrupt too. I'm just not sure. Because I see stuff going on that most people don't see. Because I, I don't depend just upon Rob Davis and other people at the Oregonian for my news. I, I have contact with a lot of people because our network is everywhere. And yet it's nowhere. Because the kingdom of God is not a place. I can't tell you where it's at. It's not here or there. It's all over. And it's not only in this realm, but it's in the next. <laughs> and so, you know, what it was that God pulled back the veil because the one prophet was saying, where's everybody else? You know, and he says, oh, I've got thousands. And he pulls back the veil so you can see the thousands. Well, that's the way it works. And I believe that's the way it works. And so I'm going to take the risk of speaking out and speaking the truth. That was one of the things that uh, somebody said recently. i got to remember who it was who said that. But uh, speak to power. I think it was Rob Davis said they had to speak to power. Well, I speak to power and I speak for power. And I speak uh, to the principalities in high places that uh, what is right is right. What is wrong is wrong. And what legislature, legislators have to do is realize I need to be in compliance. I need to keep my word. I've sworn to uphold the Constitution of Oregon. Now, I, I haven't sworn to uphold the Constitution of Oregon. But I know how important it is to keep your word. And so that's the witness that I'm giving to the people who are listening to the show is that you have to keep your word. If you owe Caesar, pay Caesar. And even if you may not owe them and they think you owe them, you know, run the extra mile to make sure that you're paid off and that you've paid what you owe. But you have to seek the kingdom. Now, that's really what we should talk about in the second half of the show is what does it look like to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Well, amazingly, it's very similar. And uh we'll show you some of what that looks like when we return to Keys of the Kingdom, but we'll take a brief break first. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So there's so much to tell you, and we don't get it all in any hour, but I make a lot of references to things. And when I do that, make those references, you're going to say, what is he talking about? I don't even know what he's talking about. Well, join the network at preparingyou.com, at uh, hisholychurch.org. Join the network. Um, you don't have to give your firstborn or anything <laughs> That doesn't cost you anything. Basically, it's just a series of email uh, groups that are based on geography. Then try to find people in your area. Start gathering with them. Hopefully, you'll eventually form what we call a congregation of record. 
but no big deal. Congregation of record is just formed by two or more witnesses picking somebody to be your minister, which is what they did at the loaves and fishes. They were commanded to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And uh, the apostles, which was his little flock, were commanded to make the people sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands before they were going to get any loaves and fishes, before they were going to get the extra things. I mean, we know that Christ was preaching to people about this kingdom of God, this government of God, this other way that was not like the way of Caesar, wasn't the way of force, it wasn't the way of taxation. It was another way. You weren't going to be able to just jump into it, but Christ arranged it so that those early Christians did go into it, at least in Judea. And they weren't called Christians, they were called Jews at the time. <laughs> and uh, But they followed another king, one Jesus. They didn't follow the, you know, there was a king who tried to take the place. There was nobody sitting on the throne in Jerusalem. You know, I've told this to many people, but see, this is the problem with talking to you on the radio because so many of you don't know what was going on right then your pastors don't know they're not telling you whatever reason i don't know but jesus was from a rich family it says that right in the bible and there's every reason to believe that he was from a rich family but he made himself poor why did he make himself poor why was he needed to get baptized by john the baptist what did john the baptist mean when this is the one who comes after me who was John the Baptist and what was he doing out there on the Jordan River baptizing? There had been Jewish baptism around for a long time. But most of the time it was at the laver in the temple. I mean, it could be anywhere, but it, they had a big, huge laver, a fountain in the temple. And that's where you went when you came to the temple. Before you really entered the temple, you had to get washed up. And that was baptism. But he wasn't in the temple. He was out in the desert and he was baptizing people out there. What did that mean? Was there some magic in the water? or What, what, what was that all about? Most Christians haven't got a clue what that was about. They get a little soundbite explanation from their pastors and they go, yeah, okay, I'll go along with that. But they don't really know the whole story. Well, we tell the whole story because we're in the truth business. And, you know, we have the articles, we have the audios, and it's all free. You don't you don't have to join anything to go read it. But the reason you join the email groups is so that you can connect with other people who are seeking a better way, which is the way. And those and I'm sure a lot of the people that you're going to connect with aren't that good. Christ ended up having to go and look in the hedges and and uh, amongst prostitutes and publicans and all kinds of people in order to find the followers of christ because a lot of people aren't going to accept this sometimes it's because of pride sometimes you know just personal vanity sometimes arrogance sometimes they hate the way they want power they want control over their neighbor there's there's a lot of people both democrats and republicans who are going into politics want control over other people and that's why they because they want to get access to those offices of power but some want uh, access to the office of power to protect people some want access to those offices of power to set people free. Well, that's the, that's the ones we want to find because they may be more suitable for more righteous habitations. <laughs> so so we, we put out these little challenges to clean up your room. 
Clean up the corruption in your room. Be responsible. Seek to to attend to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. Not just for yourself, but for everybody else. Gather together. Sit down in those tens, hundreds, and thousands in a network of people that are actually caring about other people. It will change you. It will change your thinking. The same as Polybius. Go look, at preparing you, look up the guy Polybius. He said, when you become accustomed to living at the expense of others, it will change you too. But it will change you into perfect savages and suitable for the first dictator that comes along. And that's pretty much what you got. And they tell you, you know, jump this high and you jump that high. They tell you to run this way, vote this way. You vote that way. You don't even think about it. Unfortunately, there's a lot of you out there who don't think about it and just are just going down the road like zombies. You know, we have a page on zombies too. <laughs> so, with a clip from Bob Hope on the page, uh, talking about this same problem. Not caring about others, not actively caring about others. Just caring about your rights, your freedom. That, that, that's no good. That's going to lead you to Rome. It's going to lead you into bondage. We talked about that this morning. There was a pervasive idea amongst the American Indians. It wasn't every one of them, but it was pervasive. It was around a lot. And it was that manifest destiny idea. And it was the undoing of great many Indians and Indian tribes. You know, one of the most successful Indian tribes in America today doesn't have tribal status. And the ones who are successful don't want tribal status. Because they said we're successful because we didn't have it. We didn't have the handouts. They they had to make it on their own. Well, now there's handouts everywhere. Free education, free health care. Because that's the quickest way to destroy liberty. Ask Plutarch. You can look up Plutarch at preparing you. And see what he had to say. The greatest destroyers of liberty. Who is it? Is it invaders? <laughs> no. It's not invaders. It's the givers of gifts, gratuities, and benefits. That's the greatest destroyers of liberty. And that's what, that's what you've seen happen in this. So these are, these are very, this is kingdom sense. I was thinking about starting a series called Kingdom Sense. Where you know, we talk about these little things, this little different ways of thinking and looking at things. And I'll pull up things in the news, share them with you, and then talk about them for five, ten minutes. And that will be the kingdom sense, and we'll start putting them out. But, it, you know, I'm already working till three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> so, and so it'd be nice to have some support, but uh, the reality is, is that I have to work for a living. And, uh, and the work is important. That, that I do. Not only the work I do for other people, but, you know, just maintaining things here. I mean, we're, we live really cheap here. Because, you know, we grow a lot of our food and we don't have much expenses. But the reality is, is that it is important that you people come together and start caring, start that process of whatever it is. However you want to care about one another. But you have to care about one another in a way that strengthens that which is poor in you. It doesn't weaken you. It strengthens you. The givers of gifts, gratuities, and benefits, and those who live at the expense of others, like Polybius talks about, that weakens you. 
Socialism weakens the people. It makes them naive. It weakens them, weakens them physically, mentally, emotionally, so that they're all looking for safe spaces. You don't, you don't want that. You want to strengthen yourself, strengthen others. Be a part of other people's. Lay down your life, some of your life daily, so that you can help other people get stronger. And the way to do that is to come together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And not only take care of matters of injustice. You know, the the, uh, the number of people, I've looked at a number of stories. I saw another one just yesterday or last night about somebody who lost their kids and taken away. And they claim the courts are preying on them. You know, the homes people, they had this problem too. But I don't see them seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Because if you did that, they w- you would not be prey. That people would come to your aid. People would be there. They would frighten them away. Not only that, but there is a spiritual power in laying down your life daily. You will pick up that life more abundant. And that life more abundant is not just, you know, longer life and all this kind of stuff. It's... uh it's an actual power that causes evil to bow down, to fall down, to collapse. And it's, it's a power, it's a mystical power that comes through God and may pass through you or pass around you, but it's, it's a real power. But you can't make people see it. You can't make people understand. But you can find people willing to understand if you look, and that's what we want to do. I gotta buy a new computer, I gotta put, uh, up videos as, because that's the media that's out there, and we're gonna beat the brush, and maybe, maybe our article on Article 22 is gonna get us in the news. <laughs> I'm sure that, cause you go look it up, you go search Article <laughs> Section 22, almost nobody is talking about it. There were some people that were trying to do something about it. We'd like to put them all together. Because a lot of them think, oh, it was hopeless because they overruled it. No, they didn't. They didn't overrule it. If they overruled it, why are they bringing up this Senate Resolution uh, 18? And why is it worded in such a strange way? It's because they're trying to undo it because they haven't haven't figured out how to undo it and somebody is making noise again and so they know that we need to do something because we're all felons. Now, I know that there are good men amongst those felons. <laughs> it, this day and age, you know, that's another thing. Tacitus says the more laws, the more corrupt society. That oh, you can be a felon and not even try. It's really easy to become a felon today. <laughs> So, you don't have to be a bad guy to be a felon. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of bad guy felons who get away with murder. <laughs> but other guys who haven't really done anything really bad, they're felons and they're put in jail. But uh, that's because you have to put on the full armor of God. And full armor of God means you have to really commit to seeking the righteousness, not just for yourself, but for others. So, in the kingdom of God, what, what was this kingdom of God that Christ was talking about? Well, it was this network of tens, hundreds, and thousands. And, and we have lots of websites that are talking about that. But, you know, I talked this morning about corruption in the courts. Uh, not just here, Pennsylvania, California, uh, all over. 
there are good men out there too. And you need to become a light to righteousness. And then start bringing, you know, separating those goats and sheep. Start bringing in together and making these emotional community connections that are based on righteousness. And starting to get to know one another. So that you're creating this kind of invisible network of people who care. You know, the emperors were absolutely terrified of Christians. Christians were all peace and love and helping one another. And they would even help people that weren't a part of their uh, network. And many of the emperors, like uh, Trajan and Hadrian, said, leave the Christians alone. But others were very frightened of them. Why were they so frightened of the Christians? Because of the union and discipline. I'm quoting here. <laughs> the union and discipline. Union what? What, what? Were they all wearing Trump hats? or what? How did you know the, who they were? Well, you didn't know who they were. But they knew who they were. They were gathering together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And they did this so that they could implement pure religion. Religion was how you took care of the needy of society. See, your religion today is the governments of the world. The benefactors of the world who exercise authority one over the other. Go read our article on benefactors. Just look up benefactors there. There's a search engine. You go read our article on fathers. Why did Jesus say, call no man on earth father? Who was the fathers of the earth in those days? You know, I, I have not heard a preacher yet get that right. <laughs> and yet it is irrefutable. It is absolutely clear who the fathers of the earth were. But they don't even go near that. We do. And, you know, we have 27, 30, 40 footnotes on the page so that you can see exactly where we get this. But really what should be attracting you is not the ability of us to explain all this in great detail. But your desire to admit you're not doing it right. I mean, if... If there's that that itching in your brain, that little ticking away in your brain, is telling you that something ain't right. You're right. Something ain't right. You need to start looking for what is right. You need to start coming together to seek what is right. But you can't seek it just for yourself. You have to be as unselfish as Christ. That's a huge thing. To be as unselfish as Christ. That's not an easy thing to do. And you're not going to do it right. You're not going to do it perfectly. But that's why we created the network. So you you can you join the network not because you want help. You join the network not because you want secret information. Uh, Ebediah did that. <laughs> wanted secret information. You don't want to do that. I mean, yeah, you can desire secret information. You can desire, you know, to find out what Christ was, you know, what they call the mysteries of the kingdom of God. And I've shared some of them with you on this, but a lot of you, it just went right over your head or you don't really believe it because you don't really believe it because you haven't really experienced it yet. But, you know, I'm not going to be your motivator. You have to find the motivation in your own heart to seek this way. To go this way. To be a part of this way. And you can't be encouraged 
only by everybody else's participation. Because then when people become faint of heart, you know, like Christ told the apostles that everybody, you know, the, the shepherd is struck and everybody scatters. We we don't want you to be sheep. The sheep of Christ, you know, somebody, there was a guy who, he ran for governor in the state of Oregon. He was a district attorney at one time. And, uh, you know, he would call me up on a pretty regular basis. It's it's amazing the number of people that I know <laughs> have been in government. <laughs> because I, I'm a sheepherder out in the desert. How come I know all these people? <laughs> but he, he would call me up, you know, and, and he remembered that at one time uh, he asked something about, you know, me raising sheep. Why am I raising sheep? And I says, well, I'm, I'm actually breeding a certain uh, breed of sheep. And uh, I says, they get fat eating sagebrush. <laughs> they can travel miles and miles across the desert without water. And they can kill coyotes. <laughs> and they have twins. Um, so... That's, uh, but how do you kill coyotes in the kingdom? Uh, yeah, I, actually, I, I ran over a coyote once. I had a fellow who was visiting and we had been helping out an elderly couple and we were coming back and a coyote started running along the side of the vehicle and it was next to the property of the church. And, uh, and I was, I, I we saw it running right there and then all of a sudden it cut across and we ran over it. And I could see it in the back rearview mirror. You know, we didn't run over it with a tire, but it ended up passing underneath the big truck. And it was rolling in my rearview mirror. I could see it rolling. And then it rolled and it stood up. By that time, I had stopped and I got out of the car and I walked towards the coyote. And the coyote just stood there looking at us. And the other guy had gotten out and everything. And the coyote looked like he was about to run to the church property where we had sheep. And I, I pointed to the coyote and I said, don't eat sheep. And I pointed to go across the desert the other way. And he, he had looked towards the, the church property. Then he looked the other way and he ran off the other way. <laughs> so the guy always says, hey, there's a guy who talks to coyotes. Well, I don't know if the coyote understood me. But anyway, he ran the other way. He was definitely bewildered for a little bit there. <laughs> but But the fact is, if the Holy Spirit is with you, you can command the beasts, and they have to listen. But there's no guarantee because God will test each of us. So it's not about that the success in the kingdom is about willing to face evil and stay faithful. That's the key. That's the key to the kingdom, to face evil and stay faithful, even unto death. This is what Christ did. And then he picked up life more abundant. So we'll just have to see what comes from all this. But uh, uh, I would join the network because you'll get more um, more emails, more updates. Uh, but just joining the email groups, that's not enough. You need to start gathering with other people. And... Uh, for the purposes of attending to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith, attending to perfect or pure religion, what they call pure religion, taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity instead of force, fear, and violence like the rest of the world does. The health care in the kingdom of God is that we don't want to see you get sick. 
And if you do get sick, we want to see you get well. We don't want to make money off of the fact that you're sick. So it's a, it's a wholly different approach to life and the ways of the world. It isn't like the ways of the world. It's the ways of righteousness. That's what you're supposed to be seeking, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And as I said this morning and said many times, the Bible talks about government hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times in the Bible. It talks about religion five times, four times in a bad way, bad religion, one time in a good way. And that good way is the way of righteousness. And that's that's what... Uh, you know, the way of charity, the way of taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. And so that's pure religion. Unfortunately, the religion that most people have, they think religion is what they think about God. They create some sort of a doctrine and they worship that doctrine. They believe in that doctrine. That doctrine is made by men. And, you know, the Pharisees believed in the doctrine. They believed in the rules and, and the uh, that they, their interpretation they believed in their interpretation of the scriptures. Others read the same scriptures and they had a different interpretation. And one of the most popular groups at the time had an interpretation very similar to that of which Christ taught. And they were probably, many of the first Christians were a part of that religious group. And that's a well-known religious group, but it's that group is not well-known about. They don't know what they were actually doing. They know that there was a lot of baptism involved in the group, but they don't know how they were actually operating. And it's kind of been a secret, but we tell you. We have articles on it, uh, on uh, preparing you and at His Holy Church. And we're preparing a number of other websites that we'll be launching soon. And uh, you'll hear about them. And uh, and people want to know, well, how big are you? Where are the people? Somebody called me from Chicago. And uh, want to know we had a group in that area. Well, we have some people in that area. But it's really hard to get people to sit down and form those groups. It is so important to form those. And, and those groups are just ten families. They're not big, huge groups. They don't they don't need church buildings or anything. It's like home churches. Except it's home churches seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Not home churches seeking some little group of groupies. <laughs> Who want to feel self-righteous because they all got the right doctrine. No, it's actually want to seek righteousness. But those groups are so important so that if somebody does call me or get, contacts me or contacts anybody in the network and it says, do you have anybody in this area? We say, oh, we got his, and most of the his church congregations are his church at some location. And if you're at that location, uh, if we have a group at that location or you're near that location, we can say, okay, get a hold of this guy. Get a hold of that guy. We're not going to publish that on, on, you know, the, uh, internet so that you can find out where everybody's at. Now, you don't do that. <laughs> That's king, kingdom sense. You find out by getting involved, participating. And uh, we're starting to learn the ropes of how to do that and how the early church... Because that's how the early church operated. For a thousand years, that's how the early church operated. It didn't operate like what you see churches doing today. And we have articles on that. Look up the word early church. Look up the word modern church. 
have articles on that. And if we start doing more videos, we'll, we'll, I think we're going to be able to, uh, I don't know how it's all going to work. I don't know how I'm going to find all the time to do it. <laughs> but, uh, because I started haying in a couple of days and, uh, and I, I have been turning down other work so that I could devote more time to putting these things together and writing these things out and doing all the other things that I have to do. Plus, you know, helping the people in our local community here. We have a very small, isolated community here. But, you know, we're not, the kingdom of heaven is not a place. Kingdom of heaven is a way. It's a way of righteousness. It is a way of sacrifice. Not just for yourself, but for others. And every time you make that sacrifice that God is putting on your heart, not me. I don't want to motivate you. But you let God put it on your heart and you act according to what God is putting on your heart. That's very important. Not those who say, I'm going to go do this, but those who actually do it. Those who actually do what God is telling them to do. I mean, everybody wants to do what they want to do. But, you know, who is this guy? That, that was something I actually just heard this, uh, Jordan Peterson was talking about. And all the psychology students, he was saying, I am scheduled for an hour and <laughs> you know they uh evidently I just discovered this today also that they're uh they've been pre-scheduling the show for an hour and a half and somehow cuz they I, they didn't used to do that and uh they would schedule it only for an hour and then they said well why don't you do it for an hour and a half and so I did a few but I didn't always have the time and so I was scheduling the show and evidently that other show that they scheduled must have been deleted. I'm guessing. Anyway, I discovered this just today, <laughs> minutes before the show started. And so now I see, and I was going to check that, but they are there. So now evidently Keys to the Kingdom is going to be an hour and a half. So we got another half to go. <laughs> so anyway, we'll, we'll, We'll do another half hour, which is... But meanwhile, during the break, you can go and join the network. Go to preparingyou.com. Click on the network links. Join the email group in your area. Make contact. Start getting to know people. There's a lot of looky-loos on those groups, but there are some people who are getting involved, and they'll see you come on and set up meetings and start finding more people and start bringing more people to the network. And, you know, we don't believe in if we build it, they will come. We we believe you build it, you'll be there already. So anyway, we'll be back in a minute. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to do an extra half hour that I didn't think I was going to have to do. I hope nobody, I know there are people waiting for me outside, but they'll just have to wait till we get this done. Uh, and I'll, next week I'll be better prepared for it, but I actually have lots of notes that I've been putting off for quite some time. And one of the things that, that dawned on me was listening to other people. I said, if you're not forming a voluntary government with friends, then you will end up with a government that is not your friend. And that's when, when men seek power and they seek offices of power, they care more about the power than they care about you. And so, this is, you know, like somebody said today that, uh, you know, immigration of whites to America was illegal. And I said, no, it wasn't. 
<laughs> in order for it to be illegal, you had to have a legal system. They didn't have a legal system. And the reality is that there were a lot of other factors. We won't do all uh, what was going on. But they people actually purchased the right to be on a lot of the land. And they made treaties and agreements. And the Indians welcomed them in many cases because... If you were friends of the whites, you were better protected. And they were absolutely terrified. Many of the tribes were absolutely terrified about the big tribes that were going around with this Manifest Destiny policy, which you can read if you go look up, uh, I think, uh, Confederation. I can't remember all the name of it. But you, you look up, do search on Indians and Confederation. White Pine, do a search on White Pine. You'll find the article because that's what it was called, the White Pine Confederation. And... Whether it was meant that way originally with the original prophets that created the system, I, I don't believe it was, but it morphed into this idea of manifest destiny. And the small tribes were absolutely terrified of the big tribes that could just dominate them and destroy them and take away their weapons. And, and that was written into their agreement when they finally wrote it down in English that they could take away their weapons, even enslave, even annihilate and exterminate people who weren't cooperative with their system. Well, that was tyranny. And so, if if they go that way, that's what you'll get is tyranny. It's the natural law is put. What goes around comes around. We explained that in great detail in the previous uh, uh, shows this morning. And so, you can, those will all be online and we'll tell you where they are. So, this is what Christ came to do. is teach you how to create a voluntary government of friends. And... This is actually what Moses was teaching the people to do, was to create a voluntary government of friends. You can go to Preparing You and read our articles on altars of stone. Because the same word in the Hebrew for an altar of stone is the same word for a gathering of friends. And they were gathering in these small groups. The tens, hundreds, and thousands, the reason Jethro knew about that is because that was an old way in which to form a government. Now, yeah, he was talking to uh, Moses about organizing the tens, hundreds, and thousands to help him with the judiciary branch of government, which was, you know, most people were tried locally by the ten family congregations. And that would mean the ten families plus their minister plus his minister, that's twelve. That's what was needed to have a trial. If you had people having a dispute from two different congregations, then they would pick you know, five men from one congregation and five men from another congregation and then one minister from one congregation and one minister from another congregation. And that would be their judiciary for trying a crime or a civil case or whatever it was, a dispute. If they didn't like the dispute, that the outcome of the trial of the dispute, they could appeal it to up this network of tens, hundreds, and thousands, where men were servants of servants of servants. That's how you got that. Because each group is picking the best servant that's going to serve that ten family group. Whether it's minister, ten ministers or whatever, they're always going to pick the guy who best serves them with this kingdom idea that was both Moses and Jesus Christ of loving thy neighbor as thyself and following this righteousness of the Ten Commandments. Most people don't understand the Ten Commandments. We have an article on the Ten Commandments. You can go look that up. Find out what the Sabbath really is all about. It has nothing to do with the day. 
It's not about a day. It's about a way. Always was. Same as making no covenants with them. Have you made covenants with the gods of other worlds? Because Paul says there's God many. You might be making covenants and not even realize it. But anyway, so you can go do all that research. But anyway, um, years ago, there was, uh, in, back 1983, there was, uh, in, in the town of Duran, Michigan, somebody talked about a report on uh, dihydrogen oxide. And uh, they they were worried about it. They said it was found in the city water pipes and warned that it was fatal if inhaled and could produce blistering vapors if heated. They they, they went on and were talking about all these problems and uh, it also appeared in the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette and there was a movement, you know, actually it appeared in UC Santa Cruz and it was appeared all over. There was a, somebody who actually did a whole report on this and uh, and his name was Zahner. And now that's called sonorism because this uh, toxic, toxic chemical that he was talking about, dihydrogen oxide, that, you know, if you inhaled it, it could cause death. And many people had already died from it, according to him and everything. So so they actually started a coalition to ban di, uh, dihydrogen monoxide, uh, which is, if you haven't figured it out already, that's water. <laughs> so, <laughs> but it sounded terrible. It's in the water pipes. Yeah, because it's water. Dihydrogen, H2O. That's what it means. Monoxide, one oxygen, two hydrogen, H2O. And yeah, if you inhale it, you can drown. That's called drowning. And yeah, if you, uh, if you boil it and it creates steam, you can get blisters from the steam because it can actually burn you. So yeah, it was all the things that they were saying. And, uh, you know, I mean, they had a whole list of, you know, things, uh, uh, may cause severe burns and contribute to the greenhouse effect because you need water <laughs> to create this greenhouse effect. It, you know, it, it's also known as hydroxyl acid and, uh, major component of acid rain <laughs> because it's water. Uh, uh, contributes to the erosion of our natural landscape. Yeah, because it washes away dirt. You know, corrosion uh, and rusting of uh, many metals and uh, causing bridges to fail, etc., etc., because it's rust. If water causes things to rust, uh, and may cause electrical failure and decrease the effectiveness of automobile brakes. You know, because you're sliding on water, <laughs> so, <laughs> and it is found in, in uh, excise. Oh, it says it was found in excise tumors. Of terminal cancer patients, because it's water. You're 75% water. Uh, despite the danger of uh, dihydrogen, uh, monoxide is often used in industry as a solvent and a coolant in nuclear power plants. Uh, production of styrofoam as a fire retardant. Because <laughs> firemen put it on fires to put it out because it's water. And uh, many forms of cruel animal research. Yeah, because it's water. You give water to your dog. In the distribution of pesticides, because they mix it with water. You know, it just goes on. But they don't tell you that they're talking about water. But that's what they're talking about. It's found in many junk foods. Yeah, because it's water. <laughs> so anyway, 
But the zonerism now is this ability to tell you actual facts in a way that gets you all worked up and uh, gets you worried about things. They're playing on your emotions. And of course, the perfect example of zonerism is that the world is going to end in 12 years if we don't do something about global warming. You know, well, if when they first started this, this is getting to be like the end of the world scenario. When they first started it back with Al Gore, actually they started it way back in the 30s. The, you know, we only had a few years back in the 30s because we were going to have this global warming and the coastal lines were all going to flood. This was, I'm talking 1930, okay? <laughs> and it didn't happen. And then in the 70s, they were talking about global cooling and another ice age. And then we had some warm weather. So all of a sudden, he's talking about, oh, we need to pass all these laws. And of course, that's what 2020 was all about. This uh, House Bill 2020, the cap and trade. Supposedly, it was going to do something about global warming. And there's no evidence that it would do anything about global warming. What, what it would do is create millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars one of the richest states in the United States would go into the hands of governors and uh, and people in government to use on whatever they wanted because it was a slush fund. None of the funds were designated for anything particular. You would have to trust Kate Brown to do the right thing with it. But Kate Brown isn't even keeping her word. She's sworn to uphold the Constitution, but she's not doing it. She's not holding up Article 22. Uh, Article 2, Section 22, and she's trying to actually do away with it, with what she calls reform, when it's actually reversing reform. Reform was voted in by the people with Measure 6, and it's still there in place, but they want to get rid of it, so they're going to try to seduce the people into voting it out. You are victims of zonerism. <laughs> and... uh now, is there going to be global warming? Oh, there might be, but there also might be global cooling. Uh, you know, the models of global warming, all the models of global warming that they've come up with, the computer models, none of them work. None of them are effective, except for one. One has been extremely effective in predicting the weather. It's the Russian one. Because their predictions are actually taking place. And, uh, you know, right now we're in solar minimum. We're starting to have earthquakes and we'll probably have more. But uh, we're going to be facing all kinds of things. But right now we're facing pervasive corruption, a pervasive disregard of what is right. And so much so that the churches are saying that it is okay to desire benefits from Caesar, even though you know Caesar is forcing the contributions of your people. You know, the whole reason that Saul's kingdom fell, he was told this by Samuel. You've done a foolish thing, Saul. And now your whole kingdom is going to fall because you did this foolish thing. What did he do that was so foolish? You can look that up by preparing you. Look up the word foolish. And we explain it. Look up Saul's syndrome. And we explain it in there too. I'm pretty sure we have the whole thing in the Saul syndrome as well. The Saul syndrome is that you give a man power and guess what? He wants more power. You give a man heroin, guess what? He's going to want more heroin. You get, make a man an alcoholic, what does he want? More, more alcohol. You're going to have to, and we have an article on this. You're going to have to break the habit, the addiction, 
to believing that you're right, that you're righteous. That's what people say. Oh, I love Jesus and I'm so right because I love Jesus. But you're not doing what Jesus said. You're not living according to the perfect law of liberty. You're living according to uh, men who call themselves benefactors who are literally the fathers of the earth that exercise authority one over the other. And you have lots of repenting to do, lots of turning around to do. And if you start now, you'll change your place in history. You may not change the outcome of history, but you'll change your place in history. So anyway, uh, I had a whole section on good good parents and what it takes to be good parents. And that's uh, that's an important thing. But again, back to that kingdom. See, when when the early church family was that is the institution of God. God did not create government. You created government. And and you know one what happened in the garden of paradise is that you decided to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You tried to decide for yourself what was good and evil and then you created government so you could decide for others what is good and evil. So now you have supreme courts and rulers deciding that this is good and that is bad, you know. And uh, so, you know, abortion is good. Not, I mean, it's amazing. If I told people 25 years ago that they would be advocating abortions at nine months and even infanticide, which if the child is actually born alive, you just you decide whether you want it to live or die. And if you wanted to die, you just let it lay there and die. And yet, the the same people who say that, they want to give health care to illegal uh, aliens who come across the border, breaking the law. Rush the border and break the law. And then you have newspaper reporters, you know, like if you go, you know, drowned by hate, go read that article. We talked about that a week ago. And uh, we put up some audios uh, that covered that situation where... Oscar Ramirez died. He drowned and his daughter drowned with him. A tragic, tragic thing. What caused that to happen? Because you could have stopped that if you had already come together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And if uh, Oscar Ramirez had come together in the tens, hundreds, and thousands down in Mexico. Because your groups of ten would be all connected by a network of people who want to help one another. And he... He could have said, you know, I don't want to move to America and become a citizen, but I would like to get a work visa for uh, two years because I can make a lot of money in America. He was already working at Papa Joe's Pizza. He could come here and work at Papa Joe's Pizza and stay with one of the families. And he could have come across and his daughter wouldn't have drowned. And he could have saved up his money and he probably could have got more jobs. He would become a driver or something because he'd make more as a driver than what he was doing at the the pizza parlor and maybe you could even find him even more lucrative jobs that he could work at so he works here for two years and then he goes back and builds his house and he's got all these friends we get to know him he gets to know us we help him he helps us but no he wanted to go it alone and you know swim across the river how people came into this country before was they were sponsored by somebody who said, I have a kind, this is how you sponsor them. You say, you come work for me. And then when you come to the border, you hold up a contract. I have a contract to work for so-and-so for two years. I want to come in. You can't impair my uh, 
his obligation to contract, so you can't stop me. you got to let me in. Now, they could stop you if you were broke out in pox and you're bringing in a disease. They have a right to do that because they have a right to defend themselves. That's natural law again. But if there was not, no inhibitors like that, you have to let them in. And that's the way we did it. But now, you have IMS doing everything. And they're doing whatever job they can do. And I'm not picking on them. But the rea- the reality uh, is is that if you come in legally, you have to have a sponsor. So you don't go on welfare. But now they're saying, you come in illegally, we'll put you on welfare right away. That's the quickest way to destroy them. And I can I can name you people I know that have been destroyed in that way of being put on welfare, coming across the border and getting an anchor baby and the whole family put on welfare. I mean, I know some intimately, but I actually know of many others over the years that it destroys. I know guys who came into the country illegally and worked, and then they decided that's not the way to do it. They went back across the border and applied and came here. They got their... They got in the country legally. They eventually got citizenship, and now they're about to retire. And they think this country's great, and they're for Trump. And they tease each other at work. They have a bunch of Mexican friends at work. They tease each other. Oh, he's for Trump. He's a racist. And they all laugh about it because they all think it's a joke. They know he's not a racist. But the people who don't want to know the truth... Not that Trump is your salvation. Christ is your salvation. I'm not advocating Trump. I hate to be the guy who's defending Trump. I I will tell you a funny story. I think we have a little bit of time. You know, Trump, when he started his uh, Mar-a-Lago, uh, and I just heard this part, this part of the story I knew about a long time ago, but the part I'm going to, the punchline here, I just heard about. But when he, he came and started his big country club in Palm Springs, it was against the law. I don't know if it was a written law or an unwritten law to let blacks and Jews into your country club. He took them to court and said, no, no, no restrictions. I want blacks and Jews, if they can come into the country club, they can come into the country club. That's not a racist guy. <laughs> he actually took his money and fought that in court before he had any political aspirations. If you do right by Trump, he don't care whether you're black, green, orange, purple, or whatever. He doesn't care. He really doesn't. He He's he's rough around the edges and says a lot of things he probably shouldn't say. <laughs> he certainly says a lot of things I wouldn't say, but he's not a racist. That is just totally fabricated to try to make him look bad. I mean, they are just, he is a loose cannon to them. They don't have control over him like they do all these other politicians, and I've seen this for years. So he's shaking them up. But anyway, they didn't like him. And guess what he had done? He had put up a 50-foot flagpole and put an American flag on the top. He's a very patriotic guy. Not that I advocate patriotism, which we call no man father. But I, I also see that a great deal of that patriotism is honorable. Because people actually, it, it's, it, you have to take it on a case-by-case basis. It's not words and phrases. It's what's in the heart. And you have to see beyond the words and phrases. But anyway, so they they said, no, you can't do that. So we're going to fine you. And they started fining him $1,000 a day for every day he left that flagpole, that 50-foot flagpole up in the air with an American flag on. And he would not take it down. And he argued with him and, and you know, 
got, I suppose, lawyers involved in all this stuff and fought them and fought them and fought them. And finally, you know, when it got up to $120,000 he supposedly owed the city, and they didn't need the money. He certainly didn't do any damage, but they were just fining him. He says, okay, I tell you what, I'll take it down. So they thought, oh, we won. We beat him. That's what everybody always thinks. Oh, we beat uh, Trump. <laughs> let me let, tell you, I, you know, I don't want to advocate Trump, but you probably haven't beat him. <laughs> he doesn't lose easy, and I'll tell you why. So he agreed to take down the flagpole, the 50-foot flagpole. But he said, I don't want to give you the $120,000. Can I give it to a veterans group, you know, like a charitable veterans group? And they agreed. Because it made them look bad if they just, oh no, we want the $120,000. You know, and it's wealthy. Palm Springs is wealthy. So anyway, he's, he sent the uh, $120,000 off to the veterans group. Because it was all about flag and everything. So he thought that was appropriate. And it probably was. Probably needed help. So then he goes. He takes the flagpole down. And he brings in contractors. To build a 20 foot high hill. There at Mar-a-Lago. And then he put a 30 foot flagpole. On the top of the 20 foot hill. And put his flag up. So he didn't have a 50-foot flag pole, but the flag was still 50 feet up in the air. <laughs> so anyway, I thought that was funny. I thought, boy, can you imagine the the board of, you know, whatever, the city board there who had been finding him and thought, oh, we beat him. We got him to take down his flagpole, and then he built a 20-foot hill and put a 30-foot flagpole on top. So he still only has a 30-foot flagpole, but his flag is still 50 feet in the air. Talk about rubbing their noses. <laughs> so anyway, that's, you know, I mean, I don't know really how I can bring about a story about the kingdom there. But uh, there's more than one way to win. And our goal is not to win. Our goal is to be righteous. So even if they beat us and they harm us, if we stick to righteousness we win. That's the way it works. But right now, we're at the end of the program. So I'm going to say peace on your house and may God with you. Join the network. And then once you're on the email network, join the living network. Become a viable congregant and a congregation of people who are starting to learn what it means to care about one another as much as they care about themselves. Until then, peace on your house. God be with you. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.